Hello and welcome to the 28th episode of Unlimited Opinions. I'm Adam Bishop. I'm Mark Bishop. And we are talking about political philosophy in the early modern era of philosophy. And of course, we are reading Anthony Kenny's book, A New History of Western Philosophy. This is the ninth chapter of the third section. <laughs> so <laughs> there's one more section or one more chapter in this section or in this book. Uh, and then we move on to the modern era. That's the last section. That is the last section. So we're, we're nearing... We're almost at 75%. We are at the 28th week, and I finally figured out a comfortable way to sit and participate in this. I'm in a papasan chair with a microphone right in front of me. It's great. Yeah, you look very, very comfortable. Yes, I am very comfortable. You know, if we uh, once we get my new recliner in, I think we'll have to move this to the basement. That's fantastic. And... Uh, and then I'll fall asleep mid-episode. Yeah. <laughs> sounds of him snoring halfway through. Uh, well, so what do you do? You want to talk about uh, your thoughts about the political philosophy espoused by these philosophers now, or do you want to wait till the we end? Always wait. To, we wait well, till we'll the end. Ask you to do the, the recap. Beginning. We do All the right. recap at the end. Doesn't make any sense to do the recap at the beginning. Well, it's a it's a uh, a prelude. Uh, I don't know. You want to give you know a foreshadowing of. You know, your thoughts well, about... Well, I really like this chapter. It's very interesting. You say that every chapter. Well, I you find s- it very you interesting. You say it every chapter. It's always interesting. Yeah, all right. This yeah. was by far my favorite, cha- favorite chapter so far. Not of the whole book? Of the whole book. Hmm. By far. Like, by a multiple of 10. Okay. Yes. All right, should we start off with Machiavelli? I'm kind of bored already. Let's move all on. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Machiavelli. Brilliant, brilliant philosopher. Mm-hmm thinker, whatever you want to say. Yes. Realist, maybe. Despicable, soulless creature. Yeah, it's pretty, really how it's, uh, Machiavelli is usually kind of uh, simplified, is usually ends justify the means. That's yeah, kind of his prevailing right. philosophy. Right. Uh, so in his Prince, that's his big uh, book mm-hmm. where he kind of describes all of his opinions about philosophy. He kind of describes what a prince should actually do in charge of a state of a people. Uh, and he says that always the life and the freedom of one's country take full priority over basically anything else, you know, over comfort, over happiness, freedom and security of the state must be ensured before anything else comes first. Yeah. And I I don't know that that was, you know, unique to him, Mm -hmm. but the way he went about describing it and, and how his, his philosophy seems to be that, uh, the state and the ruler are one and the same. So the interests of the ruler, uh, are the interests of the state Mm -hmm. And therefore, the ruler should do whatever is necessary to protect the state, which is the ruler. It's very, very convenient for the ruler, not so convenient for everybody in his path. Yeah. Because there's even a quote from Cicero there, you know, the welfare mm-hmm. of the people is the highest law. Yeah. Um, of course, devil's in the details, as they mm-hmm. say. And with Machiavelli, pretty much all of it is the devil. <laughs> kind of how you were saying about uh, anyone who stands in his way. Uh, Machiavelli really talks about this, and he says to take over a state... You have to basically completely eradicate any memory of that state existing before. Well, that's only true if it was a free state and self-governing. Mm-hmm. So if it had an autocracy before yes. the prince comes in, then you're just taking you're just taking over the existing system. Mm-hmm. But if they have any knowledge or memory of free people, of being a free people and represent having representative government. Yeah. You got to kill them all and you got to mm-hmm. wipe out the memory of the, the old ways or else there's always going to be pockets of resistance. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I would have to say that I don't disagree with everything Machiavelli says, yeah. you know, it's like, it's like he's right on 
on how to get things done, mm-hmm. but he it doesn't seem it's not a moral code. Yeah, it seems to me uh, like a a practical philosophy, very mm-hmm. similar to um, oh oh what's his name that uh, they always say that Obama followed. Um, I've got his book. He dedicated to Satan to Lucifer. Oh, I don't know. You've talked about this before. Oh, come on. Name. I'll think of it mid episode. So you'll interrupt me here in a few minutes. Huh? You'll interrupt me here in a few minutes. Yes. All right. Go ahead. Start uh, explaining more in detail Machiavelli while I re- remember or look up the uh, the guy that I can't think of his mm-hmm. name. And so a lot of also what uh, Machiavelli kind of believed in is that, you know, the ruler can be feared without also being hated. He did believe in, you know, certain rights of the people that those are necessary, uh, particularly if he respects property and especially if the, the ruler only kills when it is absolutely necessary, so with justification. In Saul the Alinsky. Saul Alinsky. Rules for radicals. So completely peaked the mic. <laughs> it's going to sound terrible. You predicted it. Yes, I absolutely did. It's like Rules I was, for radicals. I, I haven't gotten through it. Mm-hmm. It's one of those like a dozen books that I have that I yes. have started reading and that I haven't finished. Mm-hmm. I will finish that someday. Ah, good for you. I'm sorry. Where were we at? I was talking about Machiavelli, um, about how a ruler can be feared but not hated. You know, if he respects property and also only kills with justification and evident cause. And I, I like how he says, uh, "For men will sooner forget the death of their father than the than the law, loss of their patrimony." So mm-hmm. they're they're. It, it's, I think there's a lot of truth to that. Yeah. It's kind of scary that if you if you take away all their lands mm-hmm. and all their property, they'll be more vengeful for longer than if you just kill their dad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A truth to that, but yeah. So you doesn't want to just have his his idea is not to be just completely hated for by everybody mm-hmm. uh, because you can be feared without being hated. Mm-hmm. You know. Anyway, go ahead. Yes, and so then he also says that um, really the, the the prince here uh, can kind of use his words to make himself almost seem better than he actually is because mm-hmm. the, the words will always speak louder than the actions because you know if he passes a law that only affects some people. And you can kind of cover that up by saying, oh, this is great for everybody. And the, the people that are actually affected by it are much fewer in number than the people who hear his words. Um, do you see any parallels to modern American government? Yes, I do. I mean, I, it's like reading a, a, a campaign strategy playbook for yeah. modern American politics. And I really like uh, the quote here from, from Machiavelli. He says that anyone who has a mind to deceive will have no trouble finding people who are willing to be deceived. Mm, well, that's the truth. So basically, if you want to deceive somebody, you're going to, right? Mm-hmm. It's You'll find somebody gullible enough to believe you no matter what. I think that's why uh, televangelists are so successful. Mm-hmm. There's a market, yeah. you know. Very much so. Anything else you want to say about Machiavelli? Oh, I can talk about him for hours. Well, what do you have to say about him? I think it's very... Brutal, very cynical, I mm-hmm. think, a lot of his political reasoning. Um, does Kenny really say if this is kind of like a guide or if it's more of just kind of an observation? Yeah, of- I think, uh, and that's the question. Mm-hmm. Um, I, don't, I don't know that he's advocating for mm-hmm. it, but maybe he is a little bit. But, um, but I think it's more of a description of how you do it, Yeah, and, uh, which is dangerous in and of itself. But, um, yeah, that, that's the question. But I, I, I think he's. I think Machiavelli is one hundred percent right on yeah. as far as what happens, mm-hmm. not what should happen, or the way it should be run. But that's that's just the way politics work. Yeah. And and like the the big thing I thought, like you said, which is so true that if you if you pass a law that one you know like a hundred out of a million it, it crushes them. Mm-hmm. As long as you lie to the other people, they're like, "Oh, that's that's a good idea," yeah. you know. And it, it's and, and it takes a lot 
of of leadership uh, uh, for the opponents to focus on minority rights. That's yeah. why they have the Bill of Rights and all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. And that's why we have the constitutional republic that we do is yeah. because it's so easy to get the masses to ignore the minority suffering. Mm-hmm. Majority Where, rule with minority rights. Right, right. Mm-hmm. All right, moving on to Moore's Utopia. Yeah, this is a bunch of hogwash. Yeah, this was, this was interesting, but very impractical, mm-hmm. uh, I think. So Thomas More really wrote this big, long, uh, almost novel, uh, sort of, where this man, you know, travels the world, and he travels to this place called Utopia, and he comes back to England and describes, you know, how this perfect society basically functions. I believe I took an entire semester course in utopian thought. Really? I know so I studied a lot, lot of it. have to say about this. Yeah, it's <laughs> all utopian theories are complete and total BS. And th- right. this one, is, I mean, it, it was it's his, it's important from a historical perspective, mm-hmm. but I, I think that what we all commonly view of as utopia, you know, like that yeah. that theory, which is like um, you know rose colored glasses mm-hmm. view of human um, the human condition and human nature. Um, is necessary to come up with a utopian system. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's interesting because there's so many thinkers that have you know have published what they believe would be the utopian yeah. society. Well, even Plato's Republic in some mm-hmm. ways is, is a utopia. But everybody, it, it seems like they always wanted to be. They want they're basing it on the assumption that men are generally good. Men and women are generally mm-hmm. good, and and that's why it's a utopia. The utopia political thought is just completely impractical. Machiavelli is much more practical, mm-hmm. uh, even if you're trying to fight it. Yeah. You know, it's just to understand, okay, this is where a, what a despot, what a ruler does, what what every politician in Washington, D.C. does every day mm-hmm. is Machiavelli. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, this is what's happening. Mm-hmm. I think the one really good thing that did come from Thomas More's is talking about, you know, the punishment for, for stealing, because mm-hmm. uh, this was a big issue uh, in England at the time that, you know, if you were caught stealing, you'd be put to death, basically. That was the punishment. Right. And he kind of says, you know, it's very unjust to suffer loss of life for loss of money, um, because, you know, if it's the same punishment for stealing that it is for murder, then that basically incentivizes the criminals to just kill the witnesses. Oh, you know? absolutely. Why wouldn't you? That's if right. If you're getting the same punishment anyway. That's right. And that's why... I think it's the counter argument uh, in that sense is uh, in favor of the death penalty or a, um, a complementary argument for the death penalty that um, there there has to be a bigger punishment for the most reprehensible murders, which which one of the aggravators in Missouri is to kill a witness because you have to have something above and beyond because if you kill one person and you get the maximum punishment. Why wouldn't you kill the five witnesses, too? Yeah. There's got to be some aggravator there, but, I mean, it doesn't have to be. I mean, we can always just say, well, just add them up, and it's, you know, you get five free murders for one murder. That's really what, what most systems in in the United States have. Like, Washington, uh, Massachusetts doesn't have the death penalty. So if you kill one person, you, get, you, you end up getting the same punishment as you kill 30. Mm-hmm. Oh, I got five life sentences. Hmm. <laughs> well, I guess in... They don't enforce it in a reincarnation. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. you still just do the one life. Mm-hmm. So then going back to the, the utopia, you know, when Morris kind of kind of describing how this actually works, uh, one of the first big things is there's no private property. Mm-hmm. Um, everything is accessible to everybody um, because basically these people in the society have kind of evolved almost past the need to possess things themselves. They all share equally, uh, more or less. Did, did you introduce this as... Like he sets it up like it's a dialogue between you know two guys and this traveler and the traveler had gone to yeah. 
Brazil and been abandoned, I think, and then came all the way back via, via India. And so we went to all these 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 different lands and and ended up in, in seeing this land utopia. And and I, I I suspect that it's more of a commentary rather than a prescription yeah. for what can actually be. Mm-hmm. You know, it seems to be like some of it's just ridiculous, like that private property thing. I mean, yeah. it's it, it's com- I mean, it's it's communist thought, you know, and it's just compl- so completely impractical. It's almost yeah. like a commentary on on what doesn't work. But yeah, and then he also kind of says that you know everybody, every single citizen in Utopia has to work. Basically, everybody learns a trade, um, and they only work six hours a day because you know when you have the women working, because uh, he kind of does uh, commentate on kind of the situation in modern society when you have so many people just not working that they can take up the slack from those you know cut hours of the day because you know right. it's much less than the eight hour work day or more that they were working in in england at the present time well and he, and he was writing it at, at a time where there was a lot of uh lords and, mm-hmm. and that where they were they were just inherited wealth and they yeah. just they just lived they just, a life mm-hmm. of leisure and um uh, although i think his math doesn't work out because there's so many working poor mm-hmm. versus the number of uh, what did he call them drones that just kind yeah. of lived off the labor of others but i mean it was kind of revolutionary to say six hours because now we have the eight hour day mm-hmm. back this is before they had those those regulations yeah. so it was common to have 12 16 hour days mm-hmm. as as routine well, um, oftentimes the people that worked for you just lived with you too yeah you know, as just servants or right. just people to work on your land right. 24 hours mm-hmm. yeah that's right so yeah then and, and, yeah go ahead mm-hmm. sorry I, i'm talking so, too much <laughs> And then another big part of this utopia is kind of this justification for war um, in this society. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that is, he says, really, the, the big biggest reason to wage a war is to take land from somebody else if they aren't using it to the fullest extent, basically. If they just have this property um, and you want that for your own utopian society, you can have that because mm-hmm. they're not using it to the extent that it should be used. Um, that's kind of where he goes into his talk about, you know, there's a maximum amount of people that should be in a city because at some point it becomes unproductive and that's when you build a new city. And if there's no room right. for new cities, you know, it's your moral obligation to go out and conquer new land if those people aren't using it the way that it's meant to be used. Right. Well, it used to be, um, well, you know, the westward expansion in the United States was was for the more productive use, what they perceived as more productive use mm-hmm. of, of land. Uh, what's that? Uh, uh, the the destiny term the um, oh my gosh I'm having a hard time remembering the terms mm-hmm. I'm thinking of off the top of my head um, but uh, that it's basically the destiny for us to populate manifest the land destiny. manifest destiny yes. thank you very much mm-hmm. and we don't have that now and and I think uh, I think our country is well I guess in some ways is better because you know at some point you run out of land. But, you know, it seems like maybe we should have turned left and gone down through Mexico, too, you know. But although we did that to a large extent, that's how we got Arizona, New Mexico, and California, but, mm-hmm. um, and Texas to a lesser degree. Yep. But uh, without that expansion, it's like there's no, you know, there, there, we lose that as a, as a people mm-hmm. that kind of like go out west and make yep. a name for yourself, start over and get so many acres. And well, eventually it'll be space, that. I guess. Yeah, I'm still. I'm, I'm. I think it's more likely it will invade somebody else. Yeah, you think so? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's. Uh, it doesn't make sense that for the last fifty years, well, since World War Two, well, really before World War Two, uh, really from World War One, we've had wars, but we never kept any of the land. Mm-hmm. Um, now we ended up, I guess, World War after World War Two. We took over uh, kind of like the management, well, of course, of Japan mm-hmm. and Germany, but that, that was 
basically turned over to them. But there were some colonies that are, that became. Uh, uh, they weren't colonies in the United States, but they were the Pacific. Uh, Is that what you're talking about? The yeah, islands, yeah, right, right, and um, and so um, not I guess protectorates. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think. Gosh, I'm having a hard time with my vocabulary today. Um, but but really, you know, since Mexican American War, uh, Spanish American War, uh, we haven't really taken over. Yeah, uh, and kept. You know, like we invaded Afghanistan. We've been there for 20 years. Mm-hmm. We're just going to walk out and leave. Yeah. Same thing with Iraq. And I mean, I'm not advocating for war for territory, but if we're going to go to war, we should just keep it. Why not? I think there's a much bigger um, belief in kind of the sovereignty of nations at this point, you know, that every nation True. has the right to exist. Because that's in the UN charter, basically. So right. if you enter into the UN, you have to kind of come to the agreement that every nation has its own right to exist, you know, if it follows these certain rules, of course. I I disagree with that. Really? Um, I mean, do you think, like, um, uh, well, I I mean, I think, like, we'll get into this later, the political philosophy about the right of the rulers to to rule, Mm -hmm. uh, which is basically the people have have, uh, provided them with the the Mm -hmm. authority to... I have a just society, mm-hmm. and and I, I don't understand why uh, the full, the the argument against us um, taking over the government of some foreign country when the uh, the government is corrupt and killing its own people. Mm-hmm. You know, like like North Korea, there, there are practical arguments. And I'm not saying I'm not advocating for war, so just <laughs> we're clear <laughs> that. But what's the moral or what's the moral or philosophical argument against us? Um, deposing the 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 regime in North Korea and taking taking over that country. There, there's no moral argument against it. Mm-hmm. There's practical reasons not to do it, but yeah. they, they have no right to rule that country. They mm-hmm. have no moral or political right to murder people and ha- keep them in internment camps. Same thing for communist China. Mm-hmm. I mean, the the Communist Party. Why do they have the the power to lord over all these people? Yeah. Uh, they're a minority in that, that they haven't been elected to anything. They they're, they're just sheer brute force. Um, so there's no moral reason why we can't go in there and kill all, you know, maybe, you know, 10% of the leaders. And I guess the only moral argument I can think of is that we would be doing the same thing and deposing them, you know, using our own brute force to take out the brute force. Well, de- but then afterwards, yeah, it depends, depends on what you're going to, how you're going to manage it. Then, then you, then you, then you can get the consent of the governed, mm-hmm. um, you know, in a managed way where we keep the property, yeah. but then they're part of we, mm-hmm. you know, we, we expand, yeah, I mean, in theory, what's 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 wrong with that? Yeah, I don't see anything wrong. I mean, in theory, morally, in theory, yeah. but I'm not saying we should go to war with China, but I'm not saying we shouldn't. <laughs> Just one last bit about Moore's utopia. He kind of talks about the religion for a little bit, and he says that they all kind of follow this religion to a sort of unknown god, but they do tolerate other religions kind of to an extent. Yes, um, and right. that they they tolerated this Christian uh, who came into their country, but then. Uh, executed him was it um for like kind of inciting violence um i guess was kind of the the moral reasoning there yeah he wasn't he was banished i thought oh banished Uh, yeah i don't think they executed him but he was banished because you know he was preaching you know about how they were all going to hell or something and so like well he's inciting violence he's you know corrupting the masses i guess sedition yeah so it's not the sin of being a christian it's the sin of yeah starting violence yes and they also had elected priests yes which I don't think that's how that should work at all. No, I don't think so. <laughs> you know, they, they got to come up with something. I, 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 my favorite part of the description was uh, that apart from family law, utopians have few laws and no lawyers. <laughs> Their lawyers are stated simply enough 
to need no interpretation, and they think it better that a man should plead his own case and tell the same story to the judge that he would tell his own attorney. It's just so idealistic, mm-hmm. and that would be great, uh, but it's not practical. It's, it's impossible to have so simple of laws. Like, <laughs> And, and I, I, I'm not saying that we need to have as many lawyers as we have now, but lawyers serve their purpose in protecting Mm-hmm. the innocent there's a lot of people he, he he comes from a point of view that that like everybody's equal in intelligence and education and work ethic and if you're not you know like you know everybody's gonna work okay what if they don't yeah um and what 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 not what if they don't some won't then what are you gonna do mm-hmm. and then what if you have somebody who's really not very articulate uh and is kind of dumb and is accused of something uh, is that person really able to mount a defense or handle a civil issue with somebody else, a criminal or civil issue, without somebody helping them out? Well, this is a lot of like the, the same reason. Because one of the debate topics, Lincoln-Douglas debate topics this past year, um, was about the federal uh, work guarantee, you know, federal mm-hmm. jobs guarantee. And that's right. kind of the same argument, you know. Some people are just going to refuse to work. Can, right. can you still, like, employ them? You know, right. it's also kind of a moral argument. You know, if you have a murder, you have a criminal are you like obligated to give them a job if right. that goes against your own moral beliefs and that right. sort of things? It's like, how would that actually work practically? Yeah. And when you look at it, it's just like current present day America, they have a, a big unemployment pro- problem because there's a, uh, the COVID uh, appropriations gave $300 additional benefits for unemployment. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the entry level positions, they can't fill them because people are, getting the same or more money for not working mm-hmm. than they would for working. And they're choosing just to, just to stay uh, basically leeching off everybody else. Well, it's kind of the same argument for, you know, not having the crime or the punishment for stealing be, you know, the death penalty. You mm-hmm. know, if you're getting the same punishment, why not do the bigger crime? But if you're getting the same reward, why not do the lesser work? Right. It's that That's sort right. of argument. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yep. So it's, a lo- it's, it's interesting in, in a theoretical uh, discussion and interesting to to show what not to do. I mm-hmm. mean, all, all utopian thought is is foolish, yeah, and impractical. I agree. Moving on to just and unjust wars. Mm-hmm. So this is Francisco Suarez, uh, who was a Jesuit, and he kind of outlines you know what actually constitutes a just war. When can a nation go to war morally? He says there's there's three conditions. Uh, the war must be declared by a lawful authority. There must be a just cause, and they must use uh, proper means and proportion to carry out the war. So basically, you know, the individual does not have the right to, you know, punish somebody else. Uh, you kind of have to go to that higher authority to declare war on some other higher authority. There has to be a reasonable cause, and he kind of goes into those uh, reasonable causes. And of course, there's the right to defend. Uh, oneself, and then uh, an offensive war is acceptable to rectify a grave injustice to you or to your allies, and there must also be a good chance of victory if you enter into a war, because if you're just prolonging violence with no seeming end, um, that it's just not a just war at all. Gotta have an exit strategy. Mm -hmm. And then with the proper means and proportions, there's always gotta be that opportunity for the enemy to always first rectify the evil before you go to war with them, and then uh, you must also just, you know, not target innocent people is basically what the just means. Uh, I, would, I would tend to agree to. with all that except for the proper means in proportion. Uh, I, uh, if he means proportionality in for use of force against them. But I, I think what you just alluded to is, is proportion meaning you can't target civilians. Mm-hmm. But 
you know, have this argument about, you know, Israel and, and, and their various wars. There's always an argument that it has to be a proportional response to, you know, whoever attacks them or whatever the case mm-hmm. may be. And, and if my view is if you're going to be uh, conducting a war, I don't know that any of them are just. Some are better than others. Yeah. But it involves killing people. Mm-hmm. And uh, the best thing to do is end it as quickly as possible, which means use disproportional Mm-hmm. disproportionate force, yeah. overwhelming force uh, to end it, mm-hmm. uh, but if you can. Well, he's pretty brutal in his judgment of who is innocent and who isn't. Um, <laughs> yeah. He, he says... Anybody you know, who can. Yeah, basically. Yeah. He, he says, well, women, children, of course, and then those who physically cannot fight, you know, of course, those are the innocent people. But he says, the direct quote is, human judgment looks upon those able to take up arms as having actually done so. Yep. So if you're in a war and you see somebody who is capable of fighting against you, it is morally okay to just kill them, mm-hmm. which is pretty brutal. Yeah, you know, what's really interesting is how well democracies do in war really? uh, against uh, more autocratic governments. I mean, historically, uh, they're usually slow to get going and they make a lot of mistakes early on, but then they correct it and then... Bam! They wipe out their enemies. Well, a lot of it's, it's the they actually have the people support the people actually right. fighting for Correct. them are you know have that kind of moral incentive too, and it's not just you are being forced to do this. Correct, man upstairs. You're not just a conscript; you're part of the republic, mm-hmm. in theory. Yeah. Moving on to Hobbes, Hobbes, on chaos and sovereignty. Mm. So he really believed that the human's natural state, you know, if we didn't have governments, that we would just all live in permanent warfare. And we just, and the, he believed that the, the prime task of philosophy is to justify the consent of individuals to live in peaceful subjection to the government. <laughs> yeah, right. So right. he's saying basically, you know, we're all kind of just chaotic people. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's my job to say, you know, why we should consent to actually being controlled or not so much mm-hmm. controlled, but give up some of our own natural rights our to freedom, a higher yeah. authority. Yeah, I like how he, uh, I think the best argument that he makes for this is is the example, like where he says here, 713, let the reader consider that when taking a journey, he arms himself and seeks to go well accompanied. When going to sleep, he locks his doors. When it, when even in his house, he locks his chests. And this, when he knows there be laws and public officers, which means everybody on this some level understands that um, the state of nature can be brutal. You know, you always, you're, you're always supposed to be, you know, wary and protect yourselves from dangers. You know, the, the big thing on police departments now is a 9 p.m. routine, lock your cars and remove the valuables from the cars. Been much more effective if they actually caught the criminals and put them in jail. But um, is why should I have to lock my my vehicle if I don't want to, but whatever. Um, but, but I think that's his best argument about the, the, the state of nature of man. I, I think he, uh, he goes a, a couple steps too far talking about, you know, you have to, that, that we're at constant war. And I don't think that's true. I think there are, I think we, we are uh, a, a social people. So we tend to form in groups. So it's not like every, it's, it's not every man for himself. It's never been any, every man for himself in, America, uh, world history. Mm-hmm. We always be like us versus them. Yeah. yeah. And so a lot of what Hobbes's kind of political philosophy is very much based on these social contracts. Um, all governments, all kind of authorities have to be in this covenant between the people and the government. You know, the people have to actually agree to this thing. They have to kind mm-hmm. of follow, you know, we are in turn following their rules, but they also have to follow our rules for us to kind of instate them as the power. What do you think of that? I think that's very good. Yeah. Do you think it's true? I think it's true that that's how it should be. Yeah. Yes. Do you think that's the way it is? 
I not necessarily. Mm. I don't think. I think there's a lot less of the government asking us for our permission than there is for us asking for the government's mm. permission. Oh, that's the truth. But I think he does take this a little bit too far because when he's talking about these contracts, he says that men must transfer all rights except self-defense to a central body to enforce peace. Right. And I think that that's too far. We don't have to, you know, subject all of our rights to that um, to that degree because I think we do have more rights that should be protected by the government than just self-defense. Right. Um, so it shouldn't be everything or nothing, basically. Right. I agree with that. And then kind of his last point is that, you know, if this sovereign state uh, fails to, you know, fulfill their end of the agreement, you know, to keep peace, to keep security, to keep prosperity, then uh, there is an obligation. There's a moral application to for the citizens to resist them, to Mm -hmm. rebel and and instate a new government. And I think that's very important. Hard part is finding that line. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's a real hard part. Moving on to Spinoza. Spumoni? yes. Spinoza's <laughs> political determinism. So he had kind of a, a similar uh, philosophy to Hobbes. He said that men must make an agreement to be guided by reason and repress their harmful desires. Isn't Spinoza the, the determinist? Yes. And he's talking about freedom and all this other mm-hmm. stuff in his political philosophy? Yes, which is strange. Yes. Because he really believed that, you know, uh, this agreement is kind of common between all men, is that we have to agree together uh, to kind of repress these bad urges and to mm-hmm. to be guided by reason, of course. And he said that um, these agreements must always be advantageous. And so if uh, this agreement between me and somebody else, you know, if it's not to my advantage, then I have that complete right to not be part of that agreement of, uh, uh, anymore. And that's kind of what he applies to the to the government. You know, the government is an agreement between us and them. And if uh, the agreement on their end is not advantageous to me anymore, then I have that right to cut off that agreement and make a new government, basically. Yeah, I don't, I don't really think too much of this. Although I did like this uh, that that he that, that he says it always leads to trouble if the clergy are given political power. Yes. Boy, that's the mm-hmm. truth. And you know, our our, our church is way too into you know, civil affairs and yeah. a number of different right. things. They just don't have the uh, knowledge or wisdom or inspiration to even talk about such things. But such is life in the big city. Mm-hmm. Everything's political. Yes. Moving on to Locke. Yeah. There's not too much to say about Spinoza's very short section. Interesting. Locke's the man. Mm -hmm. Locke on civil government. So he believed that men are by nature free and equal. So this is kind of the very opposite end Mm -hmm. of Hobbes, you know, where Hobbes were completely chaotic. He believed that, you know, if we're left to our natural state, we're pretty free. We're equal among ourselves. And that, you know, kind of these governments, these people in power are the deviation from the norm uh, inherently. And he also believed that we definitely have this natural right to life, liberty, and property. So that is something that mm-hmm. should never be taken away from us. Um, that I definitely agree. And of course, he had a lot of influence on the founding fathers. Sure enough. Uh, with life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness and the well, and, of independence. And I think Hobbes had influence on him too about mm-hmm. this, the, the fallen nature of man. Yeah. You know, because I think the uh, division of government and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. I think there's some in, in there yes. too. But And so... Uh, what Anthony Kenny kind of says about uh, Locke's opinions on uh, property, basically, he says it's very mm-hmm. ingenious the way he kind of defines what is one's own property because right. uh, he breaks it down into terms of labor. So if the things that I produce by the fruits of my labor, that is inherently just mine because, you know, my labor is very clearly my own. Um, and so then our possessions really kind of go as far as our labor pr- produces them. And But he also kind of says that we shouldn't have possessions uh, in excess. Right. Uh, we shouldn't have more than we can use. You know, I shouldn't have more land than I can cultivate and make better. Um, so there should be kind of a limit based on how much we actually have um, in order for, you know, us to be kind of producing the most right. amount possible. 
that was important at the time because there's so many landowners that that had the property tied up and they weren't using it productively. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and um, it's really kind of the inspiration behind uh, uh, the legal principle that's widely used even locally here is adverse mm -hmm. possession. So if I if I'm out on some ten acres of property out in rural Missouri, and I'm using it for my purposes adversely to the owner for 10 consecutive years, mm -hmm. I own it. All I got to do is file a quiet title petition and get the judge to say, I own it. And I never paid for it or anything. Yeah. So if you, if you just have property out somewhere and you're not paying attention to it, somebody can go mm -hmm. out there, squat on it and you let them, let them do it for 10 years. It's theirs. I mean, you've had a lot of cases like that, haven't you? Like oh yeah. People building fences or building, you know, well, the, roads or something. The fences like and the roads yeah. issue is a little different thing. <laughs> <laughs> the, na neighbor disputes are worse than divorces. <laughs> they are. They're more dangerous. I think. Yeah, they're crazy people. Bunch of FU contests. <laughs> we, we don't need to go through that. Yes. But no, the, the adverse possession is interesting. So mm -hmm. if you if you did, uh, and, and I think it's useful because mm -hmm. it makes you monitor your property and use it. Mm -hmm. Or, uh, you know, your neighbor or just somebody, random person can go out there and, and, and get some productivity out of it. Yeah. And what right do you have to own it indefinitely? Mm -hmm. So if, if you're you, never going to go out there. Yeah, if you haven't noticed that something's for 10 been years. built there for 10 years. Now, they then... can't do it in hiding. They can't, like, hide behind a shack. Mm -hmm. They have to do it open and notorious. And if you go out there and say, get off my property, then they say, F you, it's my property. Well, that's uh, adverse and all that. Mm -hmm. But uh, if uh, if you don't chase them off, you chase them off and then come back, well, then the 10 years has to start over yeah. again, which makes sense. Mm -hmm. But it's similar to, you know, like, back then, like, Early American history and English history, uh, especially, they uh, they had all these uh, inherited property or land grants from the mm -hmm. from the government or the king or whatever the case be. I got thousands of acres. You know, they, they never did anything with it. It was just locked up. Yep. So. And so with that, uh, you know, when Locke's kind of de defining, you know, what the government should actually do, he says that men must give up some natural liberty uh, in exchange for comfort, safety, and peace. Mm. So that's kind of what True. all civil society should do for us. Those are the three big things right. um, while also still protecting our rights. And then he also uh, set up kind of this separation of powers, which he thought mm -hmm. was very, very important. Right. Um, because there should be a legislature that makes laws for the common good, and then there should be an executive power that enforces them. They should never be one and the same. Because yeah. if the same person enforcing the law is also making them, then, well, it's just a whole lot of power for right. one group of people. Because they're just going to make the law to enforce it. You know, that's, mm -hmm. yeah, it's so dangerous. And he makes a really big deal about this consent of the governed. So how mm -hmm. do you know if you're actually, you know, agreeing to this contract between you and the government? And he kind of says, well, if you are enjoying kind of the benefits of the society, then you are implicitly consenting to be governed in this way. You know, I, yeah. I, I never wrote, you know, a contract between me and the government agreeing to follow all these laws. Right, but, you know, right. I'm enjoying the things that they're providing for me, this peace and everything. Then at some level, I'm consenting to follow their end of the contract as well. Right. Yep, yep, yep. You also said that laws must be uh, equal for all, designed for the good of the people, and there should also be no taxation without consent. Uh, so those are his big three things in be uh, nice. the construction of laws. <laughs> yeah. Well, there are. I mean, a lot of protections in the United mm -hmm. States. It's just frustrating sometimes. And he also said that rebellion is justified if the government acts not for the common good. Mm. So if the common good is not being protected, then you have that right to rebel against them. Mm. They should tell those people complaining about the January 6th riot. <laughs> uh, just joking. Yes. Anything you'd like to add about Locke? No, no. Yeah, these, uh, yeah all the, all that's good stuff and um, needed to be said. Mm -hmm. yeah, he said it and inspired 
the founders and and the greatest nation that's ever been created. I mean, we're we're the closest thing to a utopia that's ever existed. Period. So? I mean, yeah, it's so close. I mean, it can always be better, but um, it is the best system ever designed by man, bar none, not even close to any other system, including other countries that are in existence right now. I'm like, say that. Because they're the, the protections on individual rights and liberties, especially religious uh, uh, liberty and free speech, you know, there's always a push to erode it, but... Uh, um, no, no other country has 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 the that system of where that the the founding document, the empowering document, of the Constitution limits the role of the government mm-hmm. explicitly. You know, there's a process, and of course, it's really hard to get anything done on purpose because the 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 nature of our government, you know, with the checks and balances, so to speak. But then then the Bill of Rights and the amendments to the Constitution, I think I think the the thing that the things that that are are hurting us now is that they tinkered with the election of senators, mm-hmm. uh, so that there's, there's direct election, so they're similar to just big uh, Congress people, you know, representatives as opposed to elected by the state legislature. There's a huge mistake, and it's, it's caused problems from the beginning of that amendment. Uh, that's a problem, and the the lack of respect for the Tenth Amendment, which is specifically states that anything that, that any of the powers that are not enumerated in the mm-hmm. constitution are reserved to the states. And I think we'd be, be a lot better off if, uh, if that was enforced by us, by our Supreme court or political leaders, because that that's really the heart of the problems that we're running into, um, with the management of this country. There's this too much centralized power, mm-hmm. too much corruption in Washington. And there's just too much power there. And, and, um, and that's a real danger, and, and those two things need to be corrected, or they will be either corrected, or uh, we won't have the, the same country that we have now. It's a little bleak. Um, it depends on my day. I, I, th- <laughs> I think I think it'll be. I, I I'm still optimistic that it'll be a correction. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not terribly optimistic about. Um, the direct election of senators, yeah. because because people think, well, I, I need to have a vote in that. Uh, but but you know the, the fact of the matter is, uh, none of us, like in the state of Missouri, which is not the, the largest state, uh, I've seen one of my senators once in person. Really, um, and and I was involved in politics, and that, and so I was at a, like a breakfast thing where he gave a speech. That's that's it. I've never uh, laid eyes on Hawley. I've seen Blunt once, never exchanged words with him. However, if they were elected by the legislature, the state legislature, like they, the founders originally had it, there are two things go on with that. Number one, our state legislator, uh, ours is Becky Ruth, who lives in Crystal, and our state senator is Paul Wieland, who mm-hmm. you know, uh, his yeah, daughter went to Pius. You've met him, so. right? And, um, and Becky Ruth, if I really needed to, I can get a hold of her. I'll, I, you know, I'll see her at the grocery store or something. I don't really know her. She, I mean, she probably knows who I am yeah. and I know who she is. But if we really need to track her down mm-hmm. because our senator was, was going crazy, we could track her down and say, hey, that idiot that you appointed senator, mm-hmm. U.S. senator, is screwing everything up. Why don't you do something about that when he comes back up in six years? And they will, and they did. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's of course a lot of there was a lot of corruption back there where you know they, and they had dueling factions. And that's a problem. And there's also but, kind of a two sided coin there where they would know that senator better than we would ever know them. Correct. So that can also go for they can speak more for their character, but that can also go 
adversely, you know, they know them better. There might be some friendship there, some sort of back some 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 there. sort of back back was, deal and corruption. That's why they they the, the, they changed it. Because yeah. you know the the typically you know the, the the smoke filled rooms where all these politicos are are selecting our senators, but you know it's corrupt now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and but but there's no control over them yeah. uh, because they're all super wealthy. Mm-hmm. They're all multimillionaires, uh, and they just get richer when they're up there, which doesn't make any sense because they mm-hmm. they are only making a salary now. How are they making all this money? Well, it's it's all a bunch of shakedowns and and, and corruption, and they're all horrible. They're all horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, and and there's only so much so that that has to change in order for us to have long term health as as a country. But there's no accountability uh, with any of these U.S. senators, and and you have to have so much money to run a statewide campaign. You don't ha- you don't have to have any money to be uh, selected by the state legislature. You can be some schmuck farmer from uh, you know Ironton, Missouri. Yeah. But but if you if if you if you get to know enough state senators and state representatives, so if you're in the state senator, state representative, or you're a county commissioner or something, and you're a good person and do a good job, they can appoint you the U.S. senator. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to raise any money. You don't have to uh, do all the things that that are the necessary evil uh, of becoming a senator. And then you're one of 100 people that that are making the laws for our country. There's no small town farmer in the United States that can become a US, United States senator. It's just not possible. It's the money you need to reach to correct in the state. Right. And, I mean, you, you, to run ads and all that mm-hmm. stuff, and, and you just get buried. Yeah. You just get buried, and that's how our system is set up now. And and I think we should, and, and, and that's one of those progressive reforms under Woodrow Wilson, the worst president in the history of the United States. Um, and uh, horrible, horrible, racist, jackass, um, want to be tyrant yeah um that's one of the reforms that were put in by the progressives Mm -hmm. we all know how offensive the progressives are in every way um in in modern uh current current politics i completely went off on a random rant there but this is very interesting (laughs) it's great (laughs) (laughs) but that's that's a that's a big thing to, to reform our senate we have to have to get that done and and the Tenth Amendment, and I'm not like a states' writers where you know we can't have any federal government, mm-hmm. but um, you know we need to we need to. I, I quite frankly, I think we need to move the capital. Um, we ought to return Washington D.C. to Maryland. Uh, they want to have state representation. Well, welcome back to the state of Maryland, um, uh, and uh, because it was carved out yeah. uh, of the other states, and they ought to make the capital like Kansas City, Missouri, or Kansas City, Kansas, where you know central part of the country. Kirksville, Missouri. It, <laughs> wherever, some just like Jefferson City, Missouri, which is well, I should, probably shouldn't say bad things about. The, I, was, I, I shouldn't say it's the armpit of the state of Missouri. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I, I don't know anybody there that lives there. I'm sure they're all great people, mm-hmm. but it's it's an inconvenient place, yeah. and uh, it's not like it's not a vogue place to live, yeah. you know. And and so I think. I think our we we ought to put it like in North Dakota where the winters are long and cold, and you don't want to be there. We yeah. we need to get back to where uh, being a, a representative, a congressman or a senator, is a burden. It's not. It shouldn't be a celebrity. It, it, you should. It should not be a job, a career. It should not be a career. And and I think if we put it, put that. Capital, so, because it was built in a swamp. Well, they should have the the framework of uh, your favorite president, Polk. 
Yes. Where you should just go in, get what you want to get done done, and then get out. That's right. The one term, the best, most second best president we've had. Washington was, of course, the best. The only guy in the history of the the world that I know of Mm -hmm. that was on top, could be king, and literally walked away to go back on his farm. I mean, amazing. He could have have been a a world leader, ruler, king, handed that king, like he could have become a king. You know, I think we're in our infancy, he was so popular. I think he could have taken over. The, he could have pushed through reforms, so to speak, and and changed that presidency. So it was because uh, there were a lot of monarchists still. I mean, they had a king. You know, it wasn't a foreign concept to them. Yeah. And he was a good guy. Um, and and for him to walk away, he's got to be the best president. I don't, I don't care what else he did. So a lot of times, even like kind of to bring it back to the philosophy. You know, a lot of these guys don't object to monarchies at all. Right. As long as they are right. good monarchies. A benign monarchy. Mm-hmm. And right. so that's what they would see in Washington. He's Correct. a benign monarch. Yep. But that, that would just pave the way for whoever comes after him right. to just corrupt things. Well, and, and he would have been corrupted. Yes. You know, and, and I think I, I think he recognized that. That he had to do he did two terms. He's like, okay, I gotta get away. Mm-hmm. And uh, you don't see that very often. Him and Dave Chappelle are like the only people that walked away on the top. Do you know Dave Chappelle? The name's familiar. Yeah. Dave Chappelle show. Yes. You got to watch some of his stuff. He's brilliant. Brilliant comedian. Walked away from a hit show. Hmm. Moving on to Montesquieu on Law to get yes. back to our, our reading here. <laughs> so he kind of believed that uh, really kind of the spirit of a society, the character of a society is expressed in its laws. So how you can actually tell, you know, what actually the opinion of the people is that's represented in its laws. And he believed that there were, you know, three types of government, and they all had one sort of virtue that kind of goes along with them. So if you have a republic, uh, Republican government, then uh, kind of the virtue, everybody should be striving to be virtuous, uh, to be kind of good people. Then if you have a monarchy, everyone should be striving to be honorable. And then uh, if you have a despotism, uh, everyone should be striving to be fearful, um, which is very true. So basically, you know, in the republic, that's kind of the... I wouldn't say the best society because he doesn't even believe that would be the best society, a full republic. But uh, right. that's where the people are just striving to be good citizens, you know, civic uh, duty, you know, participating in society. If you're in a monarchy, you should have a lot of pride in your gov- uh, in your country and a lot of pride in your government. Mm-hmm. You should trust them to do the right thing for your own honor, for your country's honor. And then despotism, you're just afraid of your leader, basically. Right, right. And that's what the government is trying to make you do in a despotism. Yeah, it's interesting. He was a big believer in the separation of powers mm-hmm. as a bulwark against a bulwark for individual rights yeah. against the tyranny. I mean, it's and I think they recognized, you know, that that you need a separate. You have to have those competing interests um, so that you don't have one faction mm-hmm. or one person take over. You need to have these competing forces mm-hmm. fight against each other for yeah. for us. You know, like. Yeah. For our attention and our support. He believed that, you know, there is no one perfect government. He said that really the government should be fitted to the climate, to the wealth, and the character of the people. Uh, so really what's best for one group of people is not the best for another. Yeah, you I think know. that's true? Um, I, I, think, I think it's impractical to have a republic such as we have without um, a culture that supports it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there has to be a certain level of... Um, uh, individual uh, respect for individual rights, uh, value for education, um, and uh, and a work ethic. Yeah, and and that's what was really interesting and unique about the United States when it was first formed, mm-hmm. and and uh, I, I suspect it's slipping a little mm-hmm. on the education. I don't mean formal education because I'm not a big believer anymore of of higher education, the colleges and universities. Yeah. I think. Uh, 
I, I think the education of most people going to college today is a net negative. Maybe not like education is the right word anymore. Maybe just like awareness. Correct. You know, of well, what you should yeah. be doing what is the right thing to do. Yeah. You know, well, I think people have to know history. You yes. know, like our founders knew how to speak. Uh, most of them knew how to read Greek and Latin. Yeah. And had read uh, Cicero. Well, it's just, a lot of them were very passionate about getting people educated. I just read Correct. Benjamin Franklin's oh, autobiography, yeah. actually. Right. Uh, I was telling you earlier today, you know, he did so much for just the people of Philadelphia. You know, he started the first library mm-hmm. um, in the country, actually. I That's think right. And so yeah. First were, public library. Yes, first public library. Yeah. And so they were all very, very dedicated to just getting information out to people in general. Right, right. Big believers of, uh, of an educated mm-hmm. Uh, educated working class and, and poor people. Well, you know, that's exactly it, it was revolutionary a, at the time. Farmer's Almanac. Correct. You know, with, within that, there's you know, the common knowledge of you know, what to do for your farm, that sort of thing. But right. then he'd also just stick in snippets of just like philosophical readings and right. stuff to get right. the people just educated on what they right. should be doing, that sort of thing. And, and there's a, I think there's a natural thirst for that. So, mm-hmm. so getting back to the original question, I, I think if you have a bunch of illiterate peasants, it's hard. Mm-hmm. I think it's really hard because... Uh, because you have to, and I think we have now uh, too many people that are functional illiterates, mm-hmm. meaning that nobody reads, that, no, not nobody, too many people don't read books mm-hmm. uh, or magazines. I mean, they don't, print stuff doesn't exist, but even in the digital format, um, people just don't have any historical knowledge, mm-hmm. some people don't, uh, uh, of, to put things in perspective, and so they're they're easily swayed with with what sounds like good ideas, mm-hmm. but when you read into it and you think about it, and you know it's been tried before, it's like wait a second, that sure sounds like a lot like what like socialism like they tried that in in Soviet Union and they killed a lot of people, you know the humidor, you know then then uh, Homidor or however you pronounce it, you know with this, this mass starvation of Ukraine and you know the, 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 wait a second, you know what, what about Paul Pot and those guys, yeah. and even like the racial stuff that's going on now, it's like do they they forget about the Tutsis and Hutus in Rwanda? Mm-hmm. Do they forget about the the Balkans? You know where they had the you know the, like these three little countries that the French Revolution, yeah, you know, the French Revolution, well the French you know the class the class warfare, the French Revolution, and the, and you know it's like our Catholic Church forgets. Uh, uh, about the French Revolution, how they killed nuns mm-hmm. and priests. And, and there was actually a parade just last week, a demonstration of priests marching through Paris uh, to commemorate the murder of a bunch of nuns in the French Revolution. Huh. Do you know what, guess what happened to those priests that, that had that parade? Guess what happened to them in know. France just this last week? They got the shit kicked out of them. Did they? Yes. Yeah, they, huh. they, got, they got beat up because they were anti, they were anti-revolutionaries, uh, and they're Catholic, yeah. but uh, they were just they were just aghast that they were getting beat up by these thugs that uh, because they were uh, uh, out there commemorating the murder mm-hmm. of of nuns, you know, back in the 1700s. Yeah. And so it's it's uh, I think you have to have some ingredients. And so I think I think he's right in the sense you you have to have a government that works for for the culture and the society that you have, you know, we tried to, to try to impose something upon Iraq, yeah. um, which seemed to work for a little while, but with, with, without a, our forces there, uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's hard to know how you can have a representative democracy, a republic, without a middle class, mm-hmm. an educated 
middle class. And so much with the issue with the education, especially online, like you were saying, is you know, we do have all this information you know, on our phones. Right. But so much of it is driven, especially in the media, is driven by you know, what do people want to click on? Right. You know, or do they just read the headlines? Do they actually read the full article? Do they read the snippet of the quote from some famous person? Right. Or do they read the full quote? to give context basically right. it's such an issue so many things have been blown way out of proportion or people just get the completely wrong idea about things because they don't right. actually read the full thing right or the thing itself is just intentionally misleading well and if you don't read books or longer articles and, you, and it could be ebooks you know if you, if you don't have an encyclopedia of knowledge uh you don't know this headline doesn't make sense mm-hmm. you know you don't you don't have that instant wait you know, that's that's stupid mm-hmm. um uh, that an educated person is going to have, and, the, the, and it's important to have the right education, yeah. meaning that you have to know the facts uh, of history and, and not the politicized version that's being taught everywhere now. Mm-hmm. But so now I'm going to get my Eeyore on, and like, you know, we're all going to hell, and, <laughs> and it's going to be war, and better get, better buy guns and ammunition right. uh, because they're coming for you, and uh, you know, got to make sure you kill enough of them so that they dissuade them from doing it again. Right. Under Rousseau, Rousseau and the, the general will, the inspiration behind the French Revolution yes. and the various uh, slaughters of innocent and guilty alike. Mm-hmm. So Rousseau very much believed that social institutions, these governments, really liberate rather than enslave. They always kind of bring the people to a higher level, um, because in nature, men really only follow these simple animal um, desires. And so, when you have a social institution. You're basically assuming that they always have your best interests in mind, <laughs> which is very, very dangerous. Mm-hmm. As he said that every citizen in kind of this general will, which is kind of this uh, consent, this agreement almost to, you know, we all have our own best interests in mind. Therefore, all of our interests together must be the best interest overall. Right. And so he said that, you know, with that, you know, if we vote for one thing um, and then the majority wins over us, then we kind of just have to assume that that is the right thing. The right thing. Even if we That's think right. it's completely wrong, right. then, well, but the majority of the people voted for it, so right. it must be the right thing. Um, and like you said, that's a very dangerous, dangerous line of thinking because that's what led to the French Revolution. Yeah. And Kenny even kind of points out that Napoleon was one of these people that really embraced Rousseau um, and the people even kind of following Napoleon. Um, I don't know that he embraced Rousseau. I, I think he embraced power. Yes. You know, and which, is, uh, which I guess I guess maybe he didn't embrace Rousseau because then he's the government. They should just do what he, he wants. But he, he was an autocrat, mm-hmm. you know, and he came in uh, after the chaos of the French Revolution and the wars and the and the murders, and they just needed a strong hand, or at least that's what they thought. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I, I really like that quote, you know, from from uh, Napoleon. Who can tell? He asked as he approached death whether the world would be better a place if Rousseau and I had ever had never lived. Yeah. And I mean, somebody would have come up with Rousseau's philosophy, you know, whether it was mm-hmm. him or somebody else. I would think whether you know whether. There would have been as much death without Napoleon? Probably not, man. I mean, the, the, he had battles where tens of thousands of people died yeah. in hand, essentially hand-to-hand combat. You know, I mean, it's just rivers of blood. Well, this this whole line of thinking really goes back to what we were saying earlier with majority rule with minority rights. You know, if yeah. you're completely following Rousseau here, you don't have those minority rights. Correct. You're that's just right. assuming that whatever the majority does is the best yeah. because that's the majority, and yeah. you have to submit to that, and that's so dangerous tyranny of the majority man it's it, it's more dangerous i would rather live in a monarchy mm-hmm. 
than a, a, a complete democracy. Well, he even believed that these direct democracies are not the best way to go. He was in favor of an elected aristocracy, aristocracy, aristocracy. Um, where it's basically we vote for our favorite rich people, essentially, right, and they, right, they decide right. what is best for us. Yes. Um, which is very, pretty much what we're doing now. Yeah, I know. I was going to say the same thing. You know, the amount of money needed to, to run for anything. Yep. Yeah, they're all rich up there. <laughs> Moving on to Hegel Grubble, on the Grubble. nation state. Yes. So Hegel, um, kind of going back a couple episodes ago, uh, was the one who kind of believed that you know, societies are naturally advancing forward in kind of technology and morals, um, and that we kind of have to put our trust in whatever nation we're in uh, to kind of take us on the right path, uh, this very strong nationalism. And he said that these civil societies expand freedom by giving wider scope to the possibilities of action. So basically, if we're living in a just government, um, they're not restricting us at all. They're just giving us more opportunity to act within our own society. Um, and his whole idea of the world spirit, that's kind of what yes. I was talking about. This the whole, Weltgeist. Yes. How, um, you know, how we naturally advance, you know, certain nations naturally advance towards a higher morality. That's the world spirit kind of advancing. Uh, he believed that the world spirit is shown in the culture, religion, and philosophy of the people, uh, which is in turn fostered by the government. <laughs> he believed that, you know, like I was saying earlier, the state is a platform for higher purposes. And then he also kind of goes into this really brutal line of thinking about how war has very positive values because it makes us think about um, the kind of vanity of material things. Mm. You know, we shouldn't always treasure that, which is true, I guess. But Right. So it's a, it's a uh, high price to pay for that lesson. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. so a lot of Hegel's thinking is very, I wouldn't say similar to Rousseau's, but... Um, it's very much along those same lines, you know, putting your trust into the majority or whoever is ruling over you, because uh, especially if you believe as he does, you know, the nation is the guide to the higher right. morality. They uh, seem complementary, don't they? Like like mm-hmm. in a chorus, like they're in the same, uh, uh, what do you call that? Uh, uh, notes in a line. Octave? I don't know. Same chord? Yes, there you same go. Chord? Thank you. Okay. So yeah, help me out, man. Yes. And so, yeah, and, and 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 Kenny's thinking that uh, Hegel's philosophy helped fuel mm-hmm. the, the the German uh, high opinion of themselves mm-hmm. and their their manifest destiny yeah. to uh, conquer all of Europe, mm-hmm. which they almost did twice. Yeah. Which I think is very close. You know, I think it's very true of this line of thinking. If you're putting all your faith, you know, the nation has what's in my best interests. Our nation right. is the best. You know, I think that does get to a lot of dangerous places. A lot of that. Uh, us, uh, us versus them type of thing, yes. and, and if we win the war, then we are just in in uh, in fighting it mm-hmm. because we decided to do it. Sorry, well, that was it for that that reading. Well, what are you? What are your philosophy. thoughts? What's your favorite part of it? My favorite. Hey, you let me talk uh, a lot. Or, yeah, philosopher of this group. I'd say Locke is yeah. by far the best out of all of these. Mm-hmm. Um, very much the individual rights. You know, yeah. restrict the government, um, power to the people, power to the people, but not a direct democracy. Yeah, that's just horrible. Yes, yeah. We do not want to be Rousseau. I'd rather have a tyrant than direct democracy. Really? Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> at least the tyrant is going to be consistent in and of himself. That's true. The, you know, the direct democracy, even like in Athens, uh, I forget which war they were in, the, the uh, people, I guess it was probably uh, maybe the Peloponnesian War. I, I can't remember. But they, they voted in their assembly uh, that... Uh, they they had defeated this enemy and they voted to exterminate every all the people on that island mm-hmm. save like some small number and then the next day they thought better of it 
and so they voted to overturn that and only kill like a representative group and so they had to send a trireme you know one of those boats to like to to speed up and try to catch the first one so that the second order rescinded the first order before they killed all these people because they're just fickle you know we're fickle i'm fickle mm-hmm. you know like if i if i think about an issue and and uh and i i i, I decide like emotionally uh, I may change my mind the next day or in a week. And that's that's the benefit of having elections only every two years or every four mm-hmm. years. So you, you think you think long and hard about about that vote you're supposed to. Mm-hmm. It kind of goes back it. to the same thing about education, you know, especially right. with these physical books. You're thinking long and hard. You're not just right. glancing at a headline. You're not Correct. just looking at the bare right. minimum. Right. Yeah, you got to get that context. I think the, the, the lack of of knowledge of history is a real problem. People just aren't interested anymore, which is a shame. Well, they, they could be. You know, I, I think there's just a lack of effort, and and I blame I blame our public schools. You think uh, so? Because if you, if you, if you well, yeah, let's see, do I want to go to this path? The schools of education are too easy. You think so? I know so. What makes you say that? Because they graduate really stupid people that don't know anything and those people become well-paid tenured uh instructors in mm-hmm. in elementary school and really what what we need are if i mean what is more interesting um uh, a novel by a popular writer or what really happened in the french revolution i mean how can you not how can you not enthrall an audience about all the crap that went down during the French Revolution. I mean, it's fascinating. Yeah. I mean, they had they they cut off the king's freaking head, and then they cut off his wife's head with a guillotine. <laughs> you know, how does that not a fascinating subject? How do you not interest people in that? You know, and that's just the gory stuff. But it, it uh, world history is so fascinating. Ben Franklin's life. Mm-hmm. I mean, how how could you not keep uh, any aged group of people interested in that subject. But you have to have it in the curriculum. Mm -hmm. You have to say, okay, we're going to teach American history, and you have to have somebody that, number one, knows it, and number two, can articulate it. And we don't have either one of those now. They want to talk about, you know, racism and all this bullshit, pardon my language. I mean, it's all important and all that kind Mm -hmm. of stuff. But if you don't understand the history of it, you don't understand, like, uh, uh, why Christopher Columbus was celebrated when when he was celebrated, mm-hmm. why why did they erect statues for this guy? It's not because they're a bunch of racists and they yeah. hate black people or indigenous people or whatever. It's because of the 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 the, the bringing of the the Europeans to this continent, which are their ancestors of the people that 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 built the, the statues. And I'm going to say one last thing that that's going to offend people, and that's you know everybody forgets that the the Native Americans were illiterate. Uh, peasants who didn't have running water for crying out loud they didn't have plumbing they didn't have a written language for the most part uh and they were nomadic people that were at war with each other mm-hmm. for centuries before we got here it's not like there was some idealistic they, they just didn't populate the land like we have uh once we got here mm-hmm. being we being because i'm white uh, but americans populated because they weren't successful at it mm-hmm. Because they didn't have a society that would that would pass down the information 
from one generation to the next. They had no written word. They were living the same life. There were that there the were very did. few civilizations much further south than here. Yeah, and yes. you know how brutal those were? Yes, they had very, human sacrifice by the thousands. Mm-hmm. That's... And, and we're supposed to respect them? Mm-hmm. F that. Yeah. The, the, the people in modern day uh, Mexico are better off uh, under the society that's there now, which is not great either, mm-hmm. than, than under the Aztecs or the Incas down south. Those people were, were horrible, mm-hmm. horrible. Yes. But somehow Christopher Columbus is terrible. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're, they, they put up a statute in California for the, uh, uh, I forget which god it was, that they actually had human sacrifice too. They put a, sta- they replaced, uh, it was some, um, some Jesuit, I think. I, I have to look it up, to, but don't quote me on it. But I know they replaced some, you know, some offensive statue with the with the statute of or a memorial for the god that was that was they gave human sacrifice for because it was indigenous because yeah. they have no knowledge of what even happened back then. I mean, they killed babies and stuff. Yeah. I mean, come on. That's terrible. Anyway, that's that was, another rant for another day. That's another rant. That was yes. good. Thank you. <laughs> the only I can, I can go on. It's my birthday. It is your birthday. Uh, so we, I can I can mention that in rant this and rave. hour that this has been going on. <laughs> Birthday celebration here. So we'll, uh, but I, I really enjoyed the the discussion, the ph- philosophers that, and that I remember. I think I did take, I think I took a semester long course on utopian mm-hmm. thought. I thought, oh, this is really interesting when I signed up for it. And then I got into it. This is just a bunch of BS. Mm-hmm. There are a bunch of, a bunch of, a bunch of uh, impractical idealists. And it's like, come on, man, mm-hmm. that, that'll never work. It never worked. They don't even come close. They always have these pie in the sky ideas. Come on, come on, man. As Joe Biden would say. So I guess to summarize, uh, study history. Actually, look things up. Yes, read. That's why read my, anything. My probably my favorite birthday gift over there. Is the, <laughs> the first twenty-five or so of the Harvard classics, which were originally published all together in eighteen oh eight. It was meant to be like a sum total of like human knowledge mm. uh, when they were officially published. Yeah, that's where I read Ben Franklin's got bunch of Greek philosophers, bunch of American literature, English literature, that sort of thing. You'll be so much better off if you actually plow through that. I'm, I'm trying. Yeah. I got through the first half of the first book. <laughs> <laughs> and there are 50 total volumes, and I have like 21 of them. So, interesting. Keep you busy for yeah, a while. No kidding. All right, well, this has been Unlimited Opinions. I've been Adam Bishop. I'm still Mark Bishop. And you can still follow us on Twitter at capital U, lowercase LMDD, capital O Opinions. Have we had any comments yet? No, no. Oh, tweets. all right. No, no tweets. No tweets. tweets. We have the first interesting tweet. We've, we've passed t-shirt. over three hundred total downloads. Is that good or bad? It's not. That's the best. ten purse. We have no, ten per a little bit, a little, little bit more, more slightly so, more. But with all those downloads, we still have nobody tweeting at us. Nobody tweets. Hmm. Well, they're a silent bunch. They're contemplative. Right. They, don't, they don't like to put themselves out there. Maybe. Yeah. They don't want anybody to know that they're listening to them. That's true. Things. That's true. <laughs> We're an embarrassment. They're they're probably just saving it up so they can defame us later. Yeah. Mainly me. That makes sense. Yeah, there shouldn't be any uh, guilt by association. So all the guilt comes back with me. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right.